source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Our scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. And if you're reading from the Blue Pew Bible, the text can be found on page 64. Exodus chapter 24, 1 through 11. Let us now hear the word of the Lord. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The word of the Lord. Let us ask the Lord to bless us as we consider his word this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you come to bless your people. You come to equip us, to transform us. You come to take your word and apply it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. You mean business with your people. You mean to do us good. Lord, we pray that our hearts will not be hardened against you. We pray that we will not be dull toward you. That, Lord, we will hear your word, that we will, that your word will have its effect in our lives. Your word will truly set us free. It will search us. It will cleanse us. It will rebuild us. It will restore us. It will enable us to be more and more like Christ, shining forth his glory in this world. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do according to your promise. Amen. 
One of the hardest things for me in college was trying to find my way uh, religiously, trying to find my way as a Christian. I went through one period where I had heard that it's not that I'm supposed to try, but I'm supposed to trust. And so I would literally find myself about to read the Bible, and I think, oh no, is this me reading it? Or am I letting Christ read through me? No. I've got to get out of the way. If I felt like I was making any kind of effort, I was wrong because I can't make effort because it can't be me. It's got to be Christ. I was psychologically dangerous uh, to be thinking that way. Um, another thing that was difficult for me, which brings us closer to this uh, passage, is the idea of being dedicated or completely consecrated. They tied in together because I would read that if you can ever be completely consecrated, completely dedicated, then it'll be like you quit pushing the car up the hill and you just get in the car and it just flows after that, almost effortlessly, because you finally dedicated yourself, you got yourself to that point where you fully got out of the way you let the Holy Spirit take over, and then you just soar after that. You hardly even notice, like a bird just soaring in the wind. I wanted that so badly, of course. But it never worked for me, uh, because I think it was wrong from the Scripture. This passage deals so much with dedication, And I I want us to have a new understanding, hopefully this morning, of what dedication means in Christ Jesus. Because it's pretty frightening that in chapter 19, as we're going to see, and here in chapter 24, Israel just flat out says, all that you tell us to do, we're going to do. And then in the verses that follow what we read, Moses goes up on the mountain and they go to worshiping a golden calf. Think. Gosh, that didn't last very long at all. And that looks like me a lot of times. You know, I'm, I dedicate, I repent, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Lord, and then the next day, look where I am. So it could make us be completely skeptical. Well, look what the Israelites did. It didn't mean anything. So why do I even try? Because my dedication seems to lead nowhere. So hopefully, uh, with a fresh look at this passage, and especially looking at it in Christ Jesus, uh, we can see how better to dedicate ourselves and to give ourselves up to His will with a full and free and happy heart. You can tell me afterwards if I did it. Okay, (laughs) You're like, boy, you better deliver on that one. That's a lot. Now... I want you to, I hope you've got your Bibles open to uh, Exodus 24. If you don't, and you grab the Pew Bible, page uh, 64 and 5. But I'd like for you to back up to chapter 19. As we just kind of introduce the context for this passage, I want to remind you of something that God says to them. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. We all know about the plagues. We know about the splitting of the Red Sea and that falling in upon the Egyptians and engulfing them. 
how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, unlike a lot of theologies that float around, it wasn't just a liberation of Israel from Egypt that was the big deal. That really would mean nothing to Yahweh, just to set them free from Egypt. But he said, I sent all of these plagues, I wiped out Egypt, I bore you on eagles' wings, I was completely attentive to bring you out for what? For myself. I brought you to me. That was the whole point of this. I wanted you for me. I wanted to possess you and have you and love you and cherish you. I wanted us to be in this marriage bond together. The whole point is to be his, to belong to him. And he goes on to say here then in verse 5, Therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you should be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. I own everything, and I'm setting my love upon you, you people, so that you will be my special possession. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. That means intimacy and a holy nation. That means separated unto me in a unique relationship among all the peoples of the earth. You as a nation will be the priests who are intimate with me. You will be separated to me. And you, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, he says to Moses. Well, the ensuing passage, like verses, uh, chapters 20 through 23, have to do with the Ten Commandments and then the kind of enlarging of the Ten Commandments and how they apply in different areas of their life. So chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, chapters 21 through 23, an array of how these commandments apply. Then you come to chapter 24 that we just read. This chapter is the ratification, the outward covenant making of this relationship that he talked about in chapter 19. So chapter 19, you're going to be my people Here's my word, and now let me make you my people by covenant, by blood. But chapters 19 and 24 are closely related, and in the middle, sandwiched in there, is the word of God. That's the basis for this relationship. It expresses the authority of God, his protection, his love, his will for them. And, of course, it's the way that they then would submit to him and and honor him as Lord and entrust their lives to him, the one who has spoken this word. So in in, in chapter 24, by making covenant, by the sacrifices, by the sprinkling of, of the blood, it's making it all official, so to speak. It's now binding. They have signed the dotted line. They are in relationship. It's like the marriage ceremony that occurs in chapter 24. And the chief thing that I want to set before you is the, that they belong to Him. That there is a belonging to God expressed in chapter 19 and chapter 24. The eating in the presence of God is so significant here. The very last phrase of of the passage that we read in verse 11, they beheld God and ate and drank. As we're going to see, this is 
part of the covenant meal. It's part of the statement that we share a life together. We share fellowship. We are intimate with each other. We know what that means. You hardly can have a Christmas celebration without deciding when are we going to have Christmas dinner. Are we going to have, for us, it's Christmas breakfast, Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner, you know. But, or, or think of Thanksgiving. How could Thanksgiving be celebrated, but we're not going to eat? You know, It's where you establish that we all belong together. We're one, and we share a common life with each other as we share that which gives life. A meal is binding in that way. It declares who belongs to who, who is in fellowship with who. It, it signifies our unity, our delight in one another, our commitment to one another even. And so that's why family dinners are so important, why uh, they can even do statistics on families that eat night after night and have really great fellowship around the table. It makes a whole difference in their family. And so here, as a climax of the sacrifices that are made and the sprinkling of the blood, they come into the presence of God and they eat. So there's a glorious belonging that's here. And, and I want that to be forefront in the forefront of your mind is a context for dedication. We, we often think of dedication as God standing over here and I'm standing here and he says, dedicate yourself, consecrate yourself, pull up your bootstraps and get with it. Show me you're serious. Show me you're sincere. Oh, no, you're not. Look, look what happened to you. Now that feeling of, gosh, am I ever going to have enough commitment? Is my commitment, is my lack of commitment mean that I'm not even a true, sincere Christian? Do I have to be perfectly sincere to even show that I'm, I really mean business by my commitment? But the thing we've got to see is they belonged to him. However they abused that, okay, we're going to talk about that. The statement here is that they belong to him. And so consecration is in the context of this belonging, the, in the context of presence. And two words I would put before you that kind of pull these together, dedication and delight. There will be no dedication unless you are enjoying the delight of the fellowship of God. That's the only context in which dedication can occur is a beginning delight in His goodness and His kindness and His forgiveness and His greatness that causes you to want to put yourself in His hands. And even when dedication fails, and it will always be imperfect, there's this constant fueling of dedication because of a delight and an enjoyment of the presence of God, of a feasting before Him. Obviously, for us, the Lord's table is a great sign of what the relationship is with God, where we actually take the very symbols of the death of Christ that announce to us forgiveness and announce to us restoration, and we feast in His presence. A little more on that later. So let's talk a little bit about the signs of consecration or dedication in this passage. And then we'll uh, try to put that more in the context of belonging and presence and, and this delight. 
consecration back in chapter 19 is given in verse 8 after Moses set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him that we have read, that we read of there in chapter 19, verse 8. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Okay, that's the first bracket, okay? All the Father uh, that God has told us we will do. Then here's the declaration of all the commandments, chapters 20 through 23. And then you get to chapter 24, and we read it. All the, verse 3, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So this passage is about the dedication of God's people to God. Both the, the, the word of God is framed by, we will do everything he says. Here's the word, we will do everything he says. So that's the structure of this passage. So that covenant is certainly partly about our dedication to God. And I'll argue that that's our liberty before God too. That we are able freely and gladly to give ourselves to His will. That's our new liberty. Because we have been giving ourselves to sin. Now we're going to give ourselves to Him. One commentator says their liberty started in one sense as they got out of Egypt. It ended right here. Because their liberty, the new form of it was a new happy enslavement to the will of God. That's your true liberty. You're going to be giving yourself to something, to some will, and your liberty is that you would give yourself to God. But you see, the two offerings that are expressed here point to the two aspects of dedication and delight. It says here that there is the burnt offering and then also the peace offerings in verse 5. A burnt offering... Just like it says, you put the offering on the altar and the whole thing is burned up completely. Easy to remember that. Completely burned up. What does that mean? It is to say to God, all that I am and have and ever will be, Lord, I give it into your hands. And so the offering is completely consumed. Whereas the peace offerings, and that this is the part that issues in their eating in His presence, uh, it's like the Passover. You actually, as one guy put it, you grill the meat and you eat it, <laughs> okay? To kind of put it in our terms. The, the, the meat is cooked and you eat it in the presence of God. And that's to indicate that this offering has brought you peace and fellowship with God. And notice the combination of those two things. The complete dedication of God to God in the burnt offering and then the establishment of peace and fellowship in the offering that you eat of. And the eating of it means I'm enjoying the full benefits of this offering. Especially since it's a meal in the presence of God. I have His under unqualified favor. He delights in me and treasures me. He invites me to sit down and he welcomes me and he blesses me at table. A peace offering, shalom offering, wholeness. So it's interesting. There's a wholeness in giving ourselves up to God and this creates a wholeness in our life as we are in the presence of God, accepted by God. Because the offering has been made on our behalf. And of course, both of these offerings have to do with forgiveness. Because there is bloodshed on our behalf. Bloodshed in place of us. A substitute is 
loses its life on our behalf, and therefore we don't lose our life. And that's why later it says in verse 11, and the, if, if the writer could put his emotions into it, he would pause here, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Can you believe that? <laughs> that would be the feel of it. And, and we, as we would say it in Alabama, and y'all... He didn't lay his hand on them. He didn't. That's what we'd say. That's the amazing thing. That this sacrifice has brought them into such fellowship that they can be in the very presence of God and not be dead. So, this dedication is carried out in the context of the delight and the enjoyment of the fellowship with God. It's carried out in the context of my sins being forgiven. This blood that is poured out has meaning in both cases. It's a little bit difficult. In fact, there's a lot of thought about what exactly it means. But here are some of the uh, likely things that it's divided in half. Part goes to the altar. Part is sprinkled on the people. And this one thing it likely mean is the idea that as death has encompassed this victim, so death is put on both God and man, uh, so that it's kind of like what we read in uh, Genesis 15. Both are dedicating themselves, may I die if I don't keep this covenant. But I think in its context, the more likely thing is that uh, the blood put before the altar represents again the life, not only that There is forgiveness, but it represents the life given up to God, given for God. It belongs to God. And then the blood sprinkle on the people. uh, Think of how it would stain their skin for days, and it might stain their clothes forever as a symbol uh, for the whole of Israel to see. There's the blood that was put on them. The blood means this is a benefit for you. This is, you are a member of this covenant. You belong to the fellowship of this covenant. You share a common life now with the God of the covenant. It certainly points to the seriousness of it. As the writer of Hebrews pointing to this very passage says, without blood there can be no covenant. Without blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. So dedication is right up front. And dedication is not only expressed through the sacrifice, but dedication is built around the Word, as we've just said. Because in chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments, and then you have the laws in verses 21 through 23. And that likely is what is indicated when he says in verse 3, he told the people all the words of the Lord, because the Ten Commandments are called the Word, the words, this... uh, very Hebrew word, and then the rules or ordinances are what's described in chapters 21 through 23. So he's laying the word before them. The point also is is underscored because he read it twice in this passage. Not only do you have, we will do all that you say, then all that word is given. In chapter 24 he says, and he read it to them, and he read it to them again. Think how central his word is to this dedication. The word is uh, 
We, we dedicate ourselves to God through knowing His Word, trusting His Word, submitting to His Word. So in all of this uh, presentation, we are being we are dedicated, the people of God are giving themselves up to uh, Yahweh. But you have this terrible event that follows. And then it's the worship of the golden calf, and then failure after failure to the point that they refuse to go into the land, and this whole generation dies. Now, in that context, we need to remember that at the same time, there was a remnant that continued to serve him that, true, that proved faithful. Paul talks about the remnant in Romans 11. There, was, there were always those who were faithful. A remnant stayed faithful all the way to the point that you had faithful Jews proclaiming Messiah to the Gentiles. So God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his people Israel but many fell because of their unbelief. And that's why I'd like to talk about this in the context of Christ Jesus and end on this note of how do we look at consecration in the person of Christ. The glorious thing is that where the people of Israel dedicated themselves, you'd have to say very unsincerely at this point. And in Christ we have the one who does what the the true Son of God, the true Israel, because Israel was God's Son, Israel was a faithless Son, but the true Israel, Jesus Christ, the faithful Son, dedicates Himself truly. And so, the cross is looked at as a sacrifice in which He dedicates Himself to the Father completely. We talked about this in Sunday school, uh, my particular Sunday school class. I've come to do your will. And he does his will perfectly. It's not only that Jesus obeyed through his whole life and then died. He obeyed in his whole life. And the final culmination of his obedience is that he obeyed the Father even on the cross. So the act of dying was at the same time his complete dedication to the will of the Father, even if the Father poured out his wrath upon him. He was utterly dedicated to the Father. So he fulfilled dedication for us. But here's the wonderful thing. The scripture describes his sacrifice as a dedication of us before the Father a consecration of God's people before the Father so that He presents us to Himself so that we are bound up and united to Him. And it's glorious to think that, in a sense, before we dedicate ourselves, God has, in Christ, dedicated us. Christ has dedicated His people. And so to trust Christ is to be caught up in that dedication. To trust Christ is to be caught in His glorious dedication of Himself and to be given grace and power and strength and passion and affection so that you can and will begin and progressively give yourself up to God's will. It's interesting in Romans chapter 12 that he says... In fact, I'd like for you to look at two passages in Romans. Uh, Romans 6, 
and then connect that with a more famous passage in Romans 12. Earlier in Romans 6, this is on page 942 if you have the Pew Bible. It says in verse 4 that in union with Christ, we were actually buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says in verse 6, our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. So the picture is, He has so effectively consecrated us to God. It's not just a bare act or an empty statement. It means that through His death, we have ended our relationship to sin and we have a new relationship of being alive to God. That's consecration. That means you truly, really have so been dedicated to God that you are now dead to your former life and you are alive to a new power in in Jesus Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. His dedication of you means a permanent change in your life. And it's the foundation for your constantly giving yourself up to His will. So, in verse 11... What does he say? Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That basically means first step of dedication is consider yourself dedicated by God. Get the point? Consider yourself having already been carved out of your former life and now given up in a new life to God through Jesus Christ. You have been transformed in Christ. And that's why in verses 13 uh, and verse 12, he says, and here's the language of dedication. Let not sin, therefore, therefore, because you have been set free, because of the work of Christ in dedicating you, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. There's dedication as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. How do you present yourself to God? As those who are alive and not dead. You see, even your presentation, even your dedication to Him is as one who's been brought from the dead, resurrected. You have a new life in Christ. And in that context, you give yourself up to Him. That's a whole different thing than God standing over here saying, okay, dedicate yourself. No, Christ, by His grace, dedicates us to the Father. And that's why, see, that's the background to Romans 12 1 and 2, very famous passage, when he says that by the mercies of God, you're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Now, some people say, remember, it's a living sacrifice, so if you put it on the altar, it can crawl off. <laughs> That's not the meaning of living here, okay? Uh, it, it's, it's based on what we read in Romans 6. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, one that's been brought from the dead, that's been renewed, a new creation, a new self in Christ. And knowing that you are a new self in Christ, you dedicate yourself. 
You have hope in dedicating yourself. God has hold of my life by His grace. That's the only reason I could dedicate myself to Him. Because He has dedicated me in Christ already. And then to think that you're doing this and all of your dedication and, and even your failure and rededication and you're constantly giving yourself, as this passages indicate, that you're constantly gi- repenting, you're constantly giving yourself up to His will. It's all done in the presence of God who smiles upon you, who embraces you, who comes alongside of you, who indwells you by the Holy Spirit. So that in Christ we are accepted once and for all. In Christ we are admitted into the presence of God. And so the writer of Hebrews, talking about this in chapter 10, gives us how we should approach His presence. Verse 19 of chapter 10, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Next week we're going to talk some of eating and the glorious future that this has with us, what it means in the Lord's Supper and the final marriage supper of the Lamb. But I wanted to spend this time hoping to give you some kind of new context of acceptance and favor and God's renewing power as you give yourself up to His will. And some of you here perhaps would have to say, I I don't think I've ever even tried to give myself up to the will of God. I really don't care about the will of God. There's nothing in Him that has attracted me or in in the Lord Jesus Christ that would attract me to this. We read in, in Scripture that it is the love of Christ that causes us to no longer live for ourselves but for Him. 2 Corinthians 5. It is the love of Christ that governs us. And so it's the glory of seeing, wait, you mean to tell me that this God came to earth, became a man, and actually bore the punishment that I deserve for all the wrong stuff I've done to everybody and all the wrong stuff I've thought and said in my life? He bore the punishment for that? The God who made me came and bore the punishment for that? And when that begins to set in on you and you begin to think, you mean He loved me that much that He would sacrifice and He offers me that forgiveness and He offers me renewal and He offers me to come into His presence and eat with Him and be His son, His daughter forever and to participate in His kingdom forever? Then and only then, see, Paul says, it's the love of Christ that that governs us. It's the love of Christ, in other words, that enables us to give ourselves to Him freely. It's in the context of being struck, amazed with the love of God revealed in Christ. I love Jesus' words, the Son, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from giving yourself to sin, now free to give yourself to the will of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that through the work of Jesus Christ, 
Your people are dedicated to God. Your people are delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. And that as Peter says, we are delivered so that now we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who has delivered us. Lord, as we are given up to your will, we are given then to spend ourselves for others, even as you spent yourself for us. You've set us free to no longer live for ourselves, but to find that increasing, liberating, amazing joy of spending ourselves for the sake of other people. Oh, Lord, may we do away in our hearts, anyone here, of the boredom of belonging to God or the onerous, distasteful idea to submit my life to the God who made me, to the God who would give himself up for me. Oh, Lord, break into our dark and hardened hearts. Enable us to see the glorious love of God in Christ. And may it set us free to give ourselves away to you. Ever and always, more and more, with more and more happiness, more and more freedom, more and more wholeness and peace, more and more understanding the favor that we have in Christ, more and more with the sense of dwelling in your presence, eating at your table, and giving ourselves up to your will in that context. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us. Save us. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love.